So today we're going to be studying about learning how to live a life of generous friendship and we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 finishing out the series today. Over the last few weeks we've been exploring the connection between Christian joy and Christian suffering. And Paul's letter to the young church of Philippi is inspired teaching about us about how to get through these tough times that, that are very trying to us. So I'm going to start with a question this morning. Do you have a personal theology that would explain suffering? Theology is just that big word that means a study of God. Theos meaning God, ology meaning study of. Do, how do you tie the goodness of God together with what we will eventually go through in life, which is this thing called suffering? In other words, what is your view of God when things aren't right? Does it change at all? And I'm not asking whether you can explain suffering philosophically. In fact, philosophy rarely helps us when we're facing trials and tribulations. Instead of asking whether we, as followers of Jesus Christ, can go through hard times and still show Jesus to the world. This is a subject of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. It is the Holy Spirit speaking to us about how to find joy in Jesus Christ through both the good times and the bad times. So today we're going to be looking at chapter 4 of this great letter. And the topic is learning how to deal with tough times by living a life of very generous friendship and living it with each other as a church. And as we look into this fourth chapter, I think we can discover four points on the benefits of living in generous friendship with one another. So we're going to take a big chunk of this chapter and we're going to break it down. And again, I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, reading from the New International Version. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syneche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companions, to help these women, since they have contended by my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything be excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Yes. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this book of Philippians. And we ask, Father, that you help us to learn what it means to live out this gospel of grace, not only from us to you, but from us to you with each other. 
You left the church here for a reason. So we're going to learn today, Father, what it means to live in fellowship with one another through the love that you have for us individually. Lord God, have your way in our service. We ask this in your name. Amen. So there's four points I want to tackle this morning, followed by three applications at the end of the message. Now that's seven points. Don't worry, it's not that long of a message. I know everybody started, oh my, when's lunch? But it won't be that long. Don't worry about it. The first point I want to go into this morning is that we agree with each other. Paul takes some time in his teaching letter to urge two women in the church of Philippi to be of the same mind. Now it's important that we agree with one another or at least be agreeable with one another. If anyone in the world, any um, organization or any group of people in the world, we should be the ones that are most agreeable with one another and who get along with each other. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to necessarily agree on every little thing or that we should be tolerant of bad doctrine. No, we should not. If someone were to come into our church today and say, well, I don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God, we're probably going to say, well, no, that's pretty big to us. This is something that we're going to stand and we're going to kind of die on this, on this rock because Jesus is the Son of God. It's essential that we believe that in order to call ourselves Christians. Paul has already cautioned us throughout this letter and throughout all of the New Testament to beware of bad theology. But sometimes we see truth and use it as a hammer to smash people down instead of leading them into being able to see it for themselves. And seeking truth must start and end with the glory of God, not just to prove yourself what right and win an argument. The glory of God should be what we are trying to accomplish whenever we get into a lot of these contentious arguments about various things. Not necessarily so they go, oh yeah, you're really smart and you're right. It's the glory of God that we should seek. And with this in mind, I often use a quote by St. Augustine, who said, in necessary things, fidelity. Fidelity means that we stand by that truth that we are going to be faithful to truth. So in necessary things, faithfulness. In doubtful things, unity. In other words, we will, if there is a doubtful thing, that it is not a necessary thing that you absolutely have to, to believe in order to be saved, we're going to just kind of let those things be, um, be attributed and be believed with each other. We're not, we're not going to fight over that kind of thing. Because his final, um, his final statement to us is, in all things, love. An agape love, that, that God kind of love, is tolerant of diverse opinion. For example, we tolerate those people here who might be Vikings fans. We will pray for them that they will eventually come into the light of the truth and become packer backers and cheeseheads. We will pray for their souls in this, but we're not going to throw them out of the church because of a team allegiance, right? So when there is a conflict over doubtful things or things that are not clearly spelled out in scriptures as absolute truth, 
we have another scripture to guide us in these situations, which is Romans 12, verse 10, which says, Be devoted to one another in love, and honor another above yourselves. In other words, let's just get along. Paul is talking about Christian harmony. Harmony is a musical term. Well, and while doctrine is critically important, it's possible to get the words right to, the, to a song, but the music wrong in our relationships with each other. If the two don't match up, it just sounds all discordant and just it sounds like a mess. But harmony just simply means we're going to go arm in arm and walk through this life together, even if you believe something totally different than I do in, in regard to one of those doubtful things. And notice, too, that Paul does not only ask these two women to get along, he asks the leaders in the church to help them agree with one another. That's why Christian unity, it's everybody's business. We all have a stake in our unity in this church and throughout the church of Jesus Christ. When we see brothers and sisters in our churches that can't agree with one another, our response should not just merely shake our heads at them and then judge them for their weaknesses. No, we should help them to come together and agree with one another. Or just simply agree to disagree and say this isn't important. A billion, 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 billion years from now, when we're in heaven, 99% of the stuff we argue about in church will seem so insignificant. And that's the way that we should live within this church. The second principle of living in generous friendship is to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Notice that Paul doesn't say just cheer up. Just grin and bear it. Rejoicing is something else altogether. It's an outworking of a spiritual attribute that we call joy. And joy is the evidence of the Holy Spirit being involved within a group of people. Amen. Joy is a sign of God's kingdom being made manifest here on earth right now. You see, joy goes beyond mere happiness and imparts the very substance of heaven into our life and into our church. You see, joy and happiness are two different things. Happiness is a fleeting emotion, and it's always based on a circumstance. But joy is very, very closely tied to the most important spiritual attribute that there is, and that is faith. Faith is so important, most theologians would call it the currency of heaven. It is the very thing you need to be pleasing to God. The scriptures say that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And joy is that outworking of faith. It's the insurance that God will do what is best in any situation. No matter what the immediate physical or worldly situation is at that moment. That's why Paul could sing God's praises after having Moses' skin whipped off his back and being chained into a cold prison cell. He could still sing praise to God because his joy connected with his faith and became worship. And that's why Paul is urging the people of Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. And let me tell you another secret. Depression and worship can't coexist for very long with one another. 
You know, when I start feeling down, when I start feeling overwhelmed, when I just feel like the weight of the whole world is falling on my shoulder, I'm feeling like a failure, whatever is going on in my life, and I start feeling depressed, I can just hear the Holy Spirit say, just worship. Just worship. Even if you sound like Eeyore initially. God, I praise you. Oh, woe is me. God, you're so wonderful. Woe is me. God, it's going to sooner or later lift up your spirit. It's going to refocus your eyes on the throne of God. And then joy is imparted onto you. And that depression will just fly away. It's critical for our spiritual lives as individuals. But it's powerful and vitally necessary for a community of believers that this happens. Number three, the peace of God is available in Christian community. Verses six and seven are very famous verses. I'm going to repeat them here so they're fresh in our minds going forward. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. At the beginning of verse 7, I want to point you out to a conjunction. Conjunction is something that links two phrases together, two sentences together. And that is and. It's to link the thought of the second part to the first part. You see, we all want the peace of God to rule in our hearts and our minds. And we'll, we'll quote verse 7 all day long. But the part that we mess up is the fact that there is a condition to that. And that is verse 6, that we don't be anxious about things. That in everything, by prayer, petition, thanksgiving, we, we pray our worries to God. That we give it all to Him. And then He allows the joy to come. You see, joy is a, is a byproduct of worship. Faith is a byproduct of worship. All of this comes into us when we worship, and prayer really is worship. It's not just the singing. It's not just, it's not just going through a psalm and reading it to God. It is surrendering everything to Him. That is what true worship is. It's a total antithesis and opposite of anxiety. And the condition that we need to banish anxiety is this. To present it all to God. Because what is anxiety? Anxiety is just fear of the future, right? That's, that's, that's what anxiety is. And Paul's showing us that it's impossible to live in anxiety if you're surrounded in joyful agreement with your brothers and sisters. We are here to help lift up your vision. We are here to help you come back to the Scriptures and say, well, what does God's Word say about this? And to help you believe it so that your eyes will be lifted up off your situation, off that fear of the future. In fact, Paul says, don't worry about anything. But in everything with prayer and petition, we should let our requests be made known to God. Have you ever noticed about how anxiety and worry can take a hold of a community of people? It's like a social virus. 
we're all agricultural here. We all, we all know a little bit about, about cows, right? You see a bunch of cows uh, grazing close to an electrical fence. Then one cow gets too close and <laughs> zap and he moves. I'm sorry, I can't make a move. Yeah. He starts mooing and all of a sudden all the other cows start mooing themselves. And that anxiety of the one cow just spreads throughout the rest of the herd of cows in that um, area. The same thing happens in a group of people. One cow starts, cow, one person. <laughs> okay, I'll, so I'll submit my resume back to the district now. Um, <laughs> one person starts, starts to complain and one person starts to feel anxious. And the rest of us can now come around them and bring them comfort. See, that's what the devil really, where he really works is in separation. When you are separated from God's people, that's when he is going to pick you off. The scriptures say that the devil is a roaring lion, searching to and fro for whom he may devour. Now, if you watch a lion on the Serengeti in Africa, they're not going after the giant bull buffalo in the middle of the herd of buffalo. They are going to pick off the weak one that's straying behind. They're going to pick off the sick one over there that, that isn't able to keep up. Same thing, he works the same way with us. This roaring lion that we call Satan is running around trying to scare us into being separate from God's people. And that's how he's going to pick us up. And that's why church is so important in our lives. That's why it's so powerful and necessary for the community of believers to be together with one another as many as much as we possibly can. The point is to simply suggest that together as a church family, really, if we have our eyes on Jesus like we should, we shouldn't have to worry about anything. Paul shows us that together we can, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God and together we can experience joy and peace. And if these conditions are met, that's when the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and minds in Jesus together. Together. It's good news that the peace of God can guard my heart and mind individually. But it's wonderful news and attractive to the world when he does the same thing corporately. That kind of community life is an example of the kingdom of God right here on earth as it is in heaven. The fourth principle of living in generous friendship is to think about the whatevers. Think about the whatevers. Let's read again about the whatevers. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now this list of whatever's in Philippians, it's a life-giving list. These whatevers teach us what it is to be like Jesus and how we should think about such things, and not only as individuals, but corporately as a church. And what makes these whatevers so powerful is that we can share them with one another when we come together. 
And remember our, our focus today that this chapter is about living lives of generous friendship together in a Christian community. If God speaks anything noble or right or lovely or admirable or excellent and praiseworthy to any one of us, it only makes sense that they share it with the entire congregation. We're a Pentecostal church. We believe in the gift of knowledge. We believe in, in speaking forth wisdom that the Holy Spirit can, can move on anyone here. It's not just the guy standing up here. That's how the body of Christ comes into its fullness. How the head and the arms and the legs are all functioning to propel us into a destiny that God has for this group of believers. Now this list of four community traits is only the first half of the chapter. Paul's reason for writing this letter was to acknowledge a generous gift that was given, to, given by the church of Philippi to Paul while he was a prisoner in Rome. And you have to remember, Paul is in a Roman prison. Roman prisoners were not provided for. If they did not get, they didn't get, you know, three hots and a cot, they did not get cable TV and air conditioning, they were chained to a wall where they would starve to death or die of exposure if somebody wasn't coming in from the outside and bringing them food, bringing them clothing, and bringing them um, just basic things to clean themselves up with. So what Paul is speaking here is a financial gift that was delivered from a brother who had been tasked with serving Paul and whatever he needed while he was in prison. Again, Roman prison. He can't go to the canteen and get a candy bar. If it's not brought to him on a daily basis, he doesn't get it. So this, this is how this man was serving Paul. And Paul was writing to acknowledge this gift. Through his letter, we learn the significance of living a life of genuine friendship. So let's look at these closing verses. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be in content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is like to be in need, and I know what it is like to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good for you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early acquaintance or the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was not in Thessalonica, or for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is more is credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you have sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God the and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In these verses, we have the opportunity to see the Apostle Paul's personal response to a gift that the Philippians had given them. And we see some things that are eternally true for any community of faith. So there are three important takeaways that we can get from this. 
And the first takeaway is showing concern. The church in Philippi had plenty to worry about for themselves. Remember, this is Roman Empire. He writes this roughly around 55 AD. Nero is emperor. He is starting to go after Christians. In fact, he went after Christians so much that he would execute them and set them on fire in his gardens to light them at night. So this, this is a time where being a Christian could mean giving up your life. But the church in Philippi did not allow these outside circumstances to get in the way to showing practical and loving concern for the Apostle Paul. We think that we are concerned when we are worrying about certain situations. But in reality, spiritually speaking, we really are only truly concerned when we are doing something about the situation. The church in Philippi was indeed concerned about Paul's imprisonment, but they didn't stop with worry or anxiety. They didn't talk with, with, or stop with just making an announcement quick on Sunday morning and said, I hope you guys pray for him. They actually received an offering, and not only just received an offering, but dispatched one of their elders to go to Paul and make sure he was taken care of. And that's how the church, or any church, should show concern is by taking action. The second way to show genuine friendship is to learn the secret of contentment. Surprisingly, Paul was at peace in Rome even though he was in prison. In verses 12 and 13, Paul says that he had learned the secret of contentment. And this secret isn't like a password. It isn't like a, a cheat code for a video game. This is a secret that Paul had gained by very practical experience living day to day with Jesus Christ. God's secrets came to him over time through a trusting and consistent relationship with him. Paul was never on a spiritual roller coaster that many of us find ourselves on today. He had a serious commitment and, con and that contentment became or came through him through having that relationship with Jesus Christ. Day versus day, hour versus hour, moment by moment. And in verse 13, Paul writes famous words that are, always, that are also very famously misquoted by many people, which says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But we need to look at the context in which he was saying it. Remember I said that there are various things within Scripture that makes it conditional upon something that was already said. Well, this is one of them. The context for I can do all things for Christ who strengthens me was Paul's contentment with his circumstances. He was content no matter what happened. Contentment is a condition for saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Paul can talk about doing all things precisely because he has learned the secret of contentment. Have we done that? Number three would be the joyful gift. Paul has a very curious way of saying thank you. Paul is grateful for the generous gift from the Philippians, not because of how the gift will help him, but because the gift is evident that the Philippian church is looking beyond themselves into a life of generous friendship. It's a, it's a, it's a, a practical evidence of their spiritual maturity. 
because they are giving out of their own suffering, out of their own fear of, of, of being dragged into the arena and being persecuted for being Christians. They are giving and making sure he is taken care of in spite of all of that. And here we find a second verse that is frequently used out of context. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Paul says that his God will supply all of their needs according to God's riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now why does this matter? Because Paul's not claiming riches for himself. It's part of the, the, the thing that has messed up Christianity in America, the prosperity gospel, is that we look at scriptures like this and say, okay, God, make me rich, make me rich, make me popular, make me, make me affluent, do, do all these things in my life. But Paul wasn't saying this. How often do we quote this verse in relation to our own needs? It's true that God will supply our needs, but the context is this verse in Paul's that the great, his great confidence of God's goodness is because of who God is, not because of what he wants or what he thinks he needs. And it's a beautiful picture of Christians living together in generous friendship. Pastor Paul is so happy that his students have learned the secret of contentment and generosity. Not because Paul is receiving a benefit, but because these qualities will serve the Philippian church for generations to come. You know, as your pastor, as I was preparing this message, I was praying to God that we could be a church like this. And God showed me that in many ways we already are, because many of us have these attributes in our lives. One of the, the evidences that we show the world is our missions board over there. We have the, one of the highest per capita giving toward missions within our district. And it's my prayer that our actions in the future will continue to be the fulfillment of Christ's work in us, both individually and as a family of believers here in Whitehall and throughout Trempeleau County. And Father God, I just pray, Lord, that our church will continue to be an embassy of the kingdom of God and a sign to those who don't know you yet of the glory that is found in Jesus Christ. We ask, Father, that you continue to work in us the glorious attributes of friendship and generous friendship. That you would help us not to look at after only our own needs, but toward the needs of others that you would help us to live as Jesus did, laying down his life for the benefit of others. Lord God, we thank you, Lord, for this book of Philippians. We thank you, Father, for showing us contentment in times of trial, for allowing us to know how we can have peace in the midst of a storm, and how we can show the world that our faith is genuine as we have joy no matter what happens. 